You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hi, it's Erica. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, it's Shannon. And hey, it's Chelsea. And today we are going to do a case that takes us talking about Valley View, Pennsylvania. And I personally had never heard of this small city. It's in Schuylkill County. And the closest city that I'm at least familiar with is York. And for this story, we're jumping back to the 70s in this missing persons case. It's a small city, and currently the population is 1,683 residents, and this has only changed by 0.4% since 2000, so it's kind of always really been a small city, doesn't really fluctuate that much. It is predominantly a white community, with 96.9% being white. This area does have a high percentage of people in poverty, just under 20% of the population is in poverty currently. And not to mention the use of drugs in the area is very high. In 2021, 115 people died due to drug-related causes, which actually started on a decline. So it was much higher before this. That's a huge percentage. It is. If there's only that many residents to have that many people Yes. It's really, really crazy that a percentage was taken from Schuylkill County in total, not just the city. I should clarify. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Good question. I did not put that. But still, that's a lot of people, especially because they said it was almost double the year prior. Wow. Yeah. So that Im- that information is uh, more important further on uh, when we talk about the case. So we are going to be talking about Randall B. Brocius. I think that's how you say his last name. He was only 22 when he disappeared. And at the time of his disappearance, he was living on the 18th hundred block of West Main Street. On January 21st, 1977, Randall was the last, he was last seen leaving Mesa's Fountain Blue Motel with Kenneth H. Lanker and Richard Green. And I did reach out and talk to some of his family. They did say that he goes by Randy. So that's what I'm just going to call him from this point forward, just so you know. Okay. So apparently at this time, they were driving off going eastbound on Route 209. Since then, he hasn't been seen or heard from again. His mother claimed that almost a month before this disappearance, she received a ransom phone call. And this caller claimed that Randy was part of a major marijuana deal and was demanding $500, which I don't think that is that much money, but I guess at the time, but even still. I guess at the time it was probably more significant. I can see how looking at it today, it wouldn't seem like a whole lot, but... I mean, plus when you're in drugs, you want your money. That's true. Very true. (laughs) So they told her that if she did not pay it, they would dismember Randy and then mail various body parts back to her. Oh, my God. Yeah. Pretty graphic. This panicked mother then gathered this $500 and tried to deliver to the spot the caller, you know, set up as a destination spot. Yet when she got there, no one was there. His mom believes that he was abducted after she tried contacting the caller to straighten out the situation. And it just really has me questioning how she had the phone number to even contact the people demanding this ransom in the first place. And she she called and spoke to them again? Yes, that's what it sta- stated in the Charlie Project and in uh, the Doe Network on their websites. That's so, interesting. Yeah. Very strange. I thought it was so strange. 
especially because caller ID wasn't invented at the time. It was invented by, I'm going to butcher this, Kazu Hashimoto in 1976. But that didn't really hit the market until the 80s. And at the time, rotary phones were kind of huge. And some listeners might not know what it is. I'm sure, I think all of us know what it is, right? Yeah, A rotary phone? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I know what it is because I grew up with my grandparents and they had them in their house up until almost they like sold it. Uh, But it was the annoying, like, um, what are they? The, uh, The circle roundup style faced ones that you had to like wait for it to go back to press to do the numbers and honestly it was a pain to use they did have touch phone phones it was introduced in the 70s but it wasn't like that big and star 69 wasn't really available then either that wasn't available until 1992 i was just gonna ask about that because i thought maybe that possibly predated caller id but i guess not no hmm. no anyone older than us is laughing at us right now but i'm sorry it was <laughs> I'm a 90s baby. (laughs) (laughs) And in case you're not aware, Star 69, it's a feature that allows you to call back your last call and get the phone number associated with the call. And you can even get the time, which I didn't know you could do. When Star 69 first came out, didn't it just automatically ring right back? Like before they before they implemented the whole, you know, giving you the phone number. I think when it first That's what came I out, remember. if you I hit it, right. yes. it went, it dialed right back. So you didn't even know what you were dialing or, or like the yeah. phone number. It would just go mm-hmm. right back, go right back to them. Hmm. And then they got sophisticated and <laughs> gave you the phone number. Yeah. So that is just even more interesting how she got the number then. Because when they call for a ransom, they don't normally leave their number. Yeah, that's what, that's <laughs> yeah, all like I'm thinking. Here's my callback number. Right. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't seem like the smartest choice. And that part just really, and I tried to ask the family about it, but she didn't actually mention any of this, like, portion of the story, but it's listed on every single website that he's posted on. Um hmm. And she didn't really have a lot to say about this particular subject. So I thought that was weird because that's, I mean, the Charlie Project and the Doe Network, they're really big networks. Um, usually have, you know, correct information on it. So I thought that was weird. It is. So it's very strange. Yeah. Shady. So at the time of Randy's disappearance, his mother did insist that he was not involved with drugs. But she did admit that he had been caught up with drugs in the past. She also told authorities that Randy knew Kenneth and Richard, but didn't regard them as, per se, his, like, close friends. Authorities ended up getting in contact with both men, and they were in Florida at the time, and that's because that's where they were living, and no arrests were ever made. Yet authorities do believe that foul play was involved, yet the case is still unsolved. Curious, like, how long after his disappearance did they talk to them they moved to florida do you do you know it didn't give exact dates but it made it seem like weeks because they kind of had to track them because i know uh, in one of the i can't remember if it was charlie project or the doe network it did say that they traced someone to texas as well um and i'm sure back then it took longer than it would like today and I guess the, they didn't get anywhere, so they probably didn't take any like type of copious notes about what they said happened after they left that hotel with Randy. They didn't mention anything about yeah. that at all. Currently, there is a Facebook page called Randall Brocius Endangered Missing, 
and I just reached out fast and found out that his niece is the one who runs the page. She told me that her mother was actually pregnant with her at the time that her uncle went missing. So she didn't actually know him at all. She did tell me that the family believes that drugs were the reason that Randy went missing. She said that Randy and his friends, which would include um, Richard and um, Kenneth, that they intercepted approximately about 60 pounds of marijuana, which is a lot of drugs. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Just a little bit. It's more than $500, I think. Yeah, actually. Right? I think. Uh, The family believes that Randy was set up because he was the only one with a quote-unquote target on his back by, I guess, the people he took the drugs from. And Randy ended up going to the police chief, Melvin Stutzman of Hagen's PA. And there he um, set up a meeting with the police and they provided him with fake money. Yet when the time came for the meetup, the different law enforcement agencies didn't show up on time. And to me, that's weird because it kind of like almost matches the mom's story, but just a little bit different. How like there was a meetup set and then when they showed up, they didn't go. And the family thinks that there's not a lot of information, one, about Randy, but because the police dropped the ball and Without saying it, it makes me seem like those websites kind of had like a slightly different story than what actually might have happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it's just weird. I'm a little confused of the two. Did he disappear in a car with those two guys or but this says that's the last time he was seen. But they they're saying that he was taken by who? So the family thinks that, you know, when it came time for this meeting with the people, I guess, that wanted to get their drugs back and he came with like this fake money, I guess they thought it was like a setup and they were mad about it and like tried to take him. But it doesn't state whether she did not tell me that she thinks that Richard and Kenneth took him. She just thinks that this drug deal thing went wrong and that's why they took him okay so yeah it really does seem like the authorities dropped the ball here not showing up on time that's that's a critical mistake yeah wow absolutely and i just thought it was weird because it just differs so much from what's on the charlie project and on the doe network because Hmm. they talk about the mom taking money to meet up with this person for ransom so just kind of crazy yeah, it's strange. And when talking to this niece, it seems that um, her father, which would have been Randy's brother, and her uncle, another one of Randy's brothers, they just don't want to talk about it, I'm sure, because so much time has passed and maybe not a lot of coverage. And I'm sure it's like opening up old wounds, you know, but they're the only two people that actually that are still alive that know him, really. So that's like super sad and they don't really want to talk about it. She says they have pictures, but they've been packed up for years. Um, And it's just kind of sad. She's trying to get the word out. That's why she created that Facebook account. I was actually on Web Sleuths and I noticed that she started. It's the same person who started talking on Web Sleuths about it in 2019. And that's when she decided to create the Facebook page because there's not a lot of coverage on it. Yeah, it's really hard when you don't have a bunch of family to advocate for you very and i wonder if the law enforcement dropped the ball because it 
seems like it might have been partially their fault. I'm not really sure. She didn't. The only thing she told me about with law enforcement is since like it first happened, they've only come and talked to her dad once to collect DNA. And we'll talk about that a little bit more further on, because I guess at the time they didn't have DNA for him. That wasn't like a thing back in the 70s. Right. So now they do like the familial DNA. Mm hmm. Yeah. But she did say that both brothers of Randy, they just kind of want peace and to know what happened. They're not really looking for justice at this point in time. They also do believe that the people involved most likely could potentially be dead at this point. Sure. So and they're just I guess with every year that ticks by, it's just less likely that they're going to know what happened. She did provide some details about like him personally that I definitely couldn't find in these articles, you know. Um, she told me that Randy went to Tri-Valley High School. He was married at one point in time, but the marriage was annulled, which you don't really hear that much anymore. It's mostly just like divorce. Um, and it's sad because she said no one in the family can even remember his ex-wife's name. Wow. So like maybe it wasn't that long or maybe it was like they, they got married in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Impulsive. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so. that's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because he's very young, 22, when he went missing and already like basically divorced. I don't know. I think because his name is Randall, I keep forgetting how young he was. <laughs> it yeah. just sounds not like a 22 year old's name, but this was yeah. the 70s. I get it. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Randy was in a severe car accident a couple years before vanishing. That kind of left him a little bit mangled. She also said that he was into drugs and ran with a rough crowd, which, you know, I mean, I've made the statement before, even if it's just pot, you open up that door for people that are selling more than just pot or you're surrounded by people doing more than just pot. And there can be some bad people in the, those crowds, especially in the 70s where you weren't getting it from dispensaries <laughs> right you were kind of lumped in with that whole druggy crowd yeah, yeah. just just sure. just Off for hot use mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she also wanted to make like wanted to make sure that i commented on the fact that the picture that's associated with all these like articles or websites there's only one picture there's not a lot it doesn't look like what he actually looked like when he went missing i think it was from his mm. high school picture and she said that he actually looked like um Jesus with like really long hair. She said he had really, really long hair. But then again, I think, yeah, it's 70s. Not so strange. Sure. Yeah. But that's a shame that his picture, because I see it on the document, it's his hair is very short. Very. Yeah. So he would look pretty different. Yeah. And I did ask her if it was a possibility to get the pictures. And she was like, nope, they haven't packed away. Won't even get them. I guess after the brother's parents died. They completely packed everything up and it kind of like, I guess, is in storage and they don't want to hash that out again. Yeah. Which makes sense. It's hard. So I was searching through this Facebook group and not only does she post about her uncle that's missing, she posts about tons of other cases. I don't think they're all just in Pennsylvania, but I did find a post about a John Doe from Texas that was found in 1978. And Evidence Tech had reached out to their family saying that the description seemed to match this, you know, the missing family. This John Doe even had the initials RB tattooed on his arm, which like kind of narrows it down closer. Yeah. The police have nicknamed this John Doe as Disco Dan, and I'll get into why. <laughs> um, hmm. 
Unfortunately, this John Doe is still currently unidentified. He was found April. I'm just, no one in his family could confirm that he had that tattoo, I guess. Um, I asked her about that. She said his brothers didn't know that he had any tattoos, but it could be that he went missing or he could have ran away. I mean, it's not 100% sure. They don't have 100% confirmation that he did run away. Maybe he got it after, you know, he disappeared locally. But she said that the family didn't know of him having any tattoos. And that wasn't like a descriptor in the Charlie Project for like identifying him. He was found April 3rd, 1978 in a drainage culvert with a bullet in his head. This man was found wearing a nice long sleeve button down that apparently was like a disco shirt. That's why they call him Disco Dan. Uh. Mm -hmm. And he also had Levi's jeans and Wellington boots, which Randall was also last seen wearing the same type of boots. So that was like another indicator. So the man that was found had no wallet or identification and the headshot to his face was left him unidentifiable. So it was clear that no one wanted this man's identity to be known. Luckily for them, a bullet fragment was extracted and they could now potentially use it um, to test for DNA because at the time they weren't really collecting for DNA because it wasn't a thing. But they collected the bullet, the bullet fragment, obviously, because it was like evidence. So they were hoping that, you know, testing it would pull the DNA for them, but it did not. It was not enough. And I think it came back as inconclusive. And at the time, the fingerprints and dentals never hit anything. And that is also interesting because on the Charlie Project and the Doe Network, Randy didn't have any of those on file either. So I guess this, you know, evidence tech was like, hey, so much is lining up. This could be your person. But it was not. So he he does have dentals and fingerprints available or he this John Doe does. does. This John Doe. This John Doe does. Oh, okay, But Randy Randy doesn't. doesn't. I see. Got it. Okay, Interesting. Yes. And um. This detective that's working at on this, John Doe, though, he contemplated exhuming the body. But the problem is he was buried in a pauper's grave. Okay. And I guess this one had multiple bodies buried in it. And so the problem was if they were to open it, which one would be the correct one? That's tough. Yeah. And in 2016, the office was hoping giving the moniker Disco Dan would kind of make the case more recognizable or more identifiable because there's so many Jane Doe's um and john does um but like i said it's still not solved either or his identity and who did it Hmm. and i'm pretty sure this is the case that had authorities reach out to the niece's family for the dna okay yeah so randall brocius is a white male who is 22 year old who was a 22 year old when he went missing he has brown hair blue eyes is five foot six inches and 140 pounds. He is a brittle insulin dependent diabetic, which I honestly had never heard about. But aren't they all insulin dependent in a way? I mean, brittle. I never heard of brittle. Oh, 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 I see. Have oh, you guys? I'm guessing. Is, is that just a descriptor of like how he looked? 
that he was brittle? No, it, it oh. means that they have more severe swings in blood uh, glucose oh. than typical. And they hit really high highs and really um, low lows. I didn't um, know that. And I think his family was really pushing at the time. Like there was no way that he would just like why it's they wanted it labeled more of like a disappearing than him running away because you cannot survive without it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I never heard of that. And I know a lot of people that are diabetic never heard of that term. And it's important to note the family wanted to make sure everyone knew that he did not have insulin with him at the time of his disappearance. And like Denise said, he had longer hair and he had a mustache. Randy has a scar from his chest to his groin area and another scar from his mid-thigh to his knee. And also a limp, and this was all due to that accident that we talked about. And at the time of his disappearance, he was wearing a black navy peacoat, jeans, and a black zippered Wellington pair of boots. So if you have any information, please call the PA State Police at 717-362-8700. That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by Chelsea Brown. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. See music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.